Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, I am Shannon Pruitt. I am the Global Chief Content and Partnership Innovation Officer for Stagwell Brand Performance Network. It's very long. It's fine. Um, and I'm delighted to be here today. So Stagwell has partnered with Infinite Reality, and this is the second uh, panel in our expert series where we're digging into um, the ultimate fan experience. So we're really lucky to be here today. And on Saturday, we talked a little bit about what is the ultimate fan experience, and we revealed some research from NRG um, that sort of dove into like the archetype of a fan and a super fan and, and what that looks like. And we talked a lot about how that comes to life through an F1 partnership for Lenovo and how Infinite Reality is crafting those experiences in the worlds that they're building um, in a partnership that, that Helix will talk about in a moment. Um, but today we're really here to talk and explore about how trust and authenticity play such a role in those experiences and are becoming more important than ever before and not in the way that we talk about authenticity as we have been so often in marketing and to the degree that sometimes we're even uncomfortable using the word authentic anymore. Um, this is really about how those two things really come together. So I'm going to um, go to my right and I'm going to ask the panelists to introduce themselves, um, and then we'll dive into the content. Thank you, Shannon. Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Shapiro, and I lead marketing, U.S. marketing for Cody's Consumer Beauty Division, which is our mass brands consisting of mostly cosmetics and fragrances. So brands you've heard of like CoverGirl, Sally Hansen, Rimmel London, Nautica, Vera Wang, and some other small classic fragrances. And um, remind me, Shannon, is this a short intro? Or this is I your short intro, Kevin. Okay, well then. And then I'm going to let you go. Great. All right. <laughs> so that's, my, that's my short intro. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, I'm Helix Wolfson. I'm the president of Metaverse Operations at Infinite Reality, also in charge of education, uh, and that's consumer education as well as our internal education initiatives. So I think... Um, well, first of all, we're so I'm so thrilled to be here with both of you, um, and our prep call was so exciting anyway. Um, but I think before we get started, you know, what I would actually like you to do, um, and Kevin, I'll start with you, and then Helix, you can go, but to really just talk to us a little bit how you got to the roles you're in. Like, what do you do in the role that you are in now? But how did you get here? So it's a little bit of a career journey because I think it's important. Um, for the audience to understand, um, you know, how your role brings to bear the, the importance of trust and being authentically who you are um, in terms of what you do now. We have popcorn for this? I, I, I brought popcorn and candy for everyone. Look under your chair. Just kidding. I was, I was going to say this is a little like the walk me through your resume <laughs> question. Um, so uh, I'll just pick a few highlights. Uh, I was very fortunate to have grown up abroad uh, because my father was an expat. So um, one of the things that I very much take pride in and I think is important more than ever in the world we live today is to really take interest in others and, and, and be genuinely curious about how other people work, how other people think, and use that as a platform to learn and, and build your organizations and to build your brands. So that was really my core for becoming interested in marketing and building brands, um, but also is, is the the red thread as to why I um, take a passion in leadership and why you might, I've also done panels and other conversations around team building, creating high-performing teams. Um, so that's kind of a very like young age example. But since then, 
uh, career-wise, I um, started uh, working at a small consulting firm, and then I worked at a dot-com. So I have a, a non-traditional beauty background, but as all things tend to shape you, um, you know, a couple of things that I learned from there is really um, being digital first. So I was, I'm old enough that it was not mobile first, but it was definitely digital first in terms of helping large organizations digitize processes to be faster, more efficient, and improve communications. Um, and then what, when I worked at a dot-com, it was really looking at um, data architecture and how, um, how when you think about organizing data, you know, you can come up with different ways to make it more efficient as it kind of changes over time, um, be able to monetize it, things like that. So... I mentioned all those things because they're they're so relevant now more than ever. Again, the platforms can change, the technology can change, the tech stack specifics can change, but there's a lot of of, of um, commonality in terms of of consistency. and And I'm going to stray a little from the word authenticity because Shannon already put doubt on it, which I think is valid. Um, but trust is what I'm going to use instead. Right? We think about um, as consumers, how 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 like how many times has you have you gotten the emails? Your information has been compromised from some organization that you've trusted it with. Um, so for me, it's about, um, you know, as a brand leader, as a people leader, always building trust. Fast forward to the beauty industry. I've worked at um, a number of the large beauty companies. I started my, my career in beauty at Procter & Gamble, and I've worked on pretty much all of the major beauty categories at this point. So I've worked in cosmetics, hair care, hair color, hair styling, men's grooming, men's skin care, antiperspirants and deodorants. <laughs> uh, smaller ones are like hair removal and self-tanning and I'm probably fragrances for some fragrances. I've worked in mass and prestige and I'm just laundry listing. But the point is um, I like to learn. I like to be challenged and I like to really take the opportunity to go down um, rabbit holes and immerse myself. And I've been in my current role for almost three years with Cody. I've been with Cody for four years now. And um, I, as I mentioned, I lead the portfolio of mass brands that I mentioned and um, the team supporting me covers paid, owned, and earned. Uh, we also own uh, the P&L, as, as is often the case in, in consumer goods businesses. And, um, and we represent half of Cody's U.S. portfolio, the other half being our prestige business, which is, which is mainly fragrances and also some cosmetics business as well. Which we'll dig into because they are doing, and you have done, um, some work in these immersive environments, leveraging fandom. So we'll get into that. Um, Helix, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, it's been uh, quite an interesting ride uh, for me to get to this place. I, I never thought that I would uh, be a technologist. Um, and that that really, when I think about it, kind of came from being a fan originally. I think a lot of my career has been around being a fan first and, and following my passions, the passions that have led me to, to do whatever has been of interest to me. So I started uh, in independent film as a filmmaker. Uh, I hope to have that kind of uh, Napoleon Dynamite moment when I made my first feature film in 2005. Didn't quite work out that way. Um, but that led me into um, uh, creating content, so marketing and branding content, mostly uh, online content for for brands, plenty of whom you've heard of. We did the did one of Uber's first uh, VR experiences, did a bunch of work for Google, all kinds of all kinds of folks doing content. Um, and along the way, a lot of what was driving me was just what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that excites me? How can I actually be authentic, right, by working with the brands that I'm working with and delivering messages that feel really resonant for me? Because I'm not really good at 
telling somebody's story if I don't believe it myself and if I don't feel it myself. Um, I should say that I started with as an actor when I was very young, so a theater. I was a theater kid, um, and sort of gave up my my acting career when I went into directing and creating content, um, and then rediscovered that as I moved into the festival circuit. So I'm a longtime Burning Man attendee and uh, Lightning in a Bottle and a bunch of uh, alternative festival culture. And uh, at a certain point, I was asked to run for mayor of a fictional fest of a festival called Lightning in a Bottle. And I ran for mayor as a fictional character that I had created named Paul Amori, who was this Italian Lothario nicknamed the mayor of love. Um, somehow won and became the festival, the mayor of this festival. And then because I was a content creator, a number of my producer friends said, you, you got to do something with this character. And we decided it would be fun to run him for mayor of Los Angeles. Um, so... The only way I could get on the ballot as this character was, in fact, to change my name legally to the character. And I, I, I did that and ran for mayor of L.A. in 2017 as Polly Amori. And the reason I bring it up in this context is when we're talking about authenticity, this was initially very much a lark. But it happened during the uh, right after the contentious 2017 elections when people were really Im impassioned and inflamed around politics, right? And so what ended up happening as this quote-unquote mayor of love was I decided if I was going to do that at this moment in time, I had to do it authentically and with love as the real goal. And so it was this incredible exercise in learning how to be authentic while wearing a wig, three-piece red suit under an assumed identity with an Italian <laughs> accent. Um, quite a fun thing. I will tell you that love came in last in the city of angels, but it was an amazing, it was amazing journey. Um, and, uh, fast forward. So that sort of flamed my, my work as a performer again and getting in, in front of people, which I love to do. And then fast forward to, uh, 2020, um, right before that I had been working in immersive experiential. So building out experiences for festivals and for brands did a really amazing installation down at Comic-Con. We built out a bat cave in Comic-Con, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and uh, another partner of mine who's here, we were building out experiential. We were about to launch a big experiential um, pl a playhouse, essentially, in Hollywood Boulevard, and then COVID hit. And it was like, well, nobody really wants to put a bunch of people under one roof doing activities together. It just wasn't going to fly. Um, and that's right when uh, COVID canceled Burning Man. And should I, should I get into this now? Not or you yet. Want to, no, what? Not yet. Not yet. So we'll skip to that. But <laughs> what came out of that was uh, the, the beginnings of our company, which is, you know, essentially a metaverse creation company. Um, and my role now at the company has been over, over the last several years, I've created basically all the content that we've put out. Um, and really, we're storytellers. We've been telling the story of the metaverse and these immersive experiences uh, and where this is all going and sort of the potential for this. And I also uh, do a lot of work around educating people around what the metaverse and immersive spaces, whatever we're calling it, right? And that sometimes is in flux. Um, but explaining to people, helping people to understand how this technology is really impactful and how it can drive brands and, and connection with their consumers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? So now you've both, you've all, I saw everyone smiling and laughing and listening. And the truth is, by getting to know Kevin and he looks a little bit more, you trust them a little bit more, right? There's a little bit more of a community in this room. There's a more of a community on this stage. Um, and what we found out um, in our Saturday panel from NRG is, and, and what we know to be true about the, the immersive experiences is that community is so very important, right? And trust is such a huge facilitator of that. 
Um, and I think, Kevin, in your role, right, you're kind of brokering trust on multiple sides of the equation, right? And I think it would be really interesting, you know, maybe pick an example of, you know, like the fragrance example or something where you have really, you know, obviously all of your expertise is one thing, right? But it's really your personal brand and who you are and who you've become over these many different iterations of your career that deliver the credibility and sort of that, you know, genuine trust of you. So it'd be great for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, I, I won't mention any specific That's names, okay. or else That's the okay. example will be would be <laughs> less rich. But um, there's there's. I'm going to first maybe just mention a few of the the many vectors of yeah, trust that, that my day to day job currently, or in general, my my career is entailed. Which is that um, if I even think about my a typical day, like this morning, I was. Uh, uh, pitching a new uh, potential licensed partner for us, so a, a fashion house that's that's looking for a fragrance. And so the whole presentation was an hour of establishing trust in Cody as the foremost licensing expert partner. We are, um, you know, pointing out key facts, like we actually have the largest fragrance factory in the world. Um, and so that's, you know, just providing key facts also about our partnership and our commercialization and, um, and making sure that this, this company that is, um, has a brand that represents a lot of value to consumers. It's a brand that you've all heard of, um, but their day-to-day is creating fashion, which is a whole different supply chain, a whole different set of, um, opportunities and constraints versus beauty and really grounding them on the value of Cody as a partner. And since Shannon mentioned it also, um, you know, the personal brand of who's at the table at Cody to ensure that it's not just um, a pitch or talk, but that it's a partnership of quality, consistency, and longevity. Um, and so for, for myself, I've, I've, I actually worked at, at, um, one of Cody's main competitors earlier in my career, which was Elizabeth Arden, and, and um, really the two organizations that are, are were the biggest licensors in the fragrance world were Elizabeth Arden um, and Cody. And so, uh, even though obviously I'm on a different the different side of the fence, those skills of um, all of those aspects of building trust um, come to the table. For example, uh, when I was at Elizabeth Arden, I worked on the integration of true religion fragrances after it was purchased into the, the art and portfolio. So it was when I talk about establishing trust, a lot of ways it was establishing trust with the retailers. Once that acquired fragrance became part of our portfolio, that would have our full support, that it would have a full development plan. It was establishing trust with the licensor. So true religion corporate that we were going to take care of them, of course, better than naturally better than, than the, the fragrance company that they were at before and establishing the relationship. You know, it, it's interesting when you work on an acquisition because you're not really starting something from the ground up and it's not something that True Religion Corporate signed up for because they signed an agreement with a different fragrance company that we acquired. And so you're kind of walking into a going business where um, there's also just kind of an interesting skill set to there because you're not starting the dance together. You're just you're just parachuted onto the dance floor to a going business that um, you're trying to kind of fact find and understand what, what, what works, what doesn't work. And, and, you know, at the back of my mind, being a, a, a relationship manager in essence and trying to understand what, what can we do better? What are the short-term wins, long-term wins? Um, 
And I mentioned this example because um, the kind of the, I, I think that um, the licensed world within beauty is really interesting um, because it's it's a little bit of a subset of beauty. But when you think about a lot of the growing brands, whether it's um, the Kylie Cosmetics and Skin Business, which has a joint venture with Cody, um, or or many of the other um, celebrity fragrance and makeup brands, it's such an important growth driver for the beauty industry over the last five years that um, it's a skill set that I very much value with with people on my team, um, but also organizations value because the question is, can we trust you? not just in those new business pitches, but also in maintaining and growing a healthy relationship. Um, because a lot of these contracts are longer-term contracts. There's there's capital investment involved. There's there's high stakes. And, and these are things that, that sway the stock price um, if, if there's relationships that uh, have uh, opportunities to be really, um, you know, decade upon decade versus shorter term. So, I mentioned them because there's a lot of, uh, you know, media or, or, or other vendors or partners at, at, at South by and, and um, you know, even within me, I also play, even though I'm marketing our own owned brands like CoverGirl and Sally Hansen, obviously we don't, they don't have licensors. We, we own the brands. There's parts of my portfolio like Nautica fragrances, like Vera Wong fragrances where I'm on the other side of the table where I'm marketing it, but I'm also very much supporting a relationship of trust and building that both over the short and the, the long term. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? It's it's really to your point, industries are built on trust, right? You think about what's happened in crypto or most recently banking um, and how those types of things, when everyone loses trust at the same time, it can basically take down an industry in stock price, in valuation, um, impact the ripple effect of that can be so significant. Um, and I, I, I think it's, I think the examples you bring up are so important, right? Because it's really never just about you, right? It is about the community you've created. And even as an agency holding company, right? Like we're the newest network on the scene, Stagwell. And so we have to convince people that data technology, media, creative coming back together is really important. And that's built on relationships and trust by clients and agencies and working together. And and it's been a really interesting journey in the last two years because we just got acquired. And so, you know, we've been building that, that, you know, building that plane and flying it at the same time. But I think, you know, Helix, when it comes to infinite reality, the story, the origin story of infinite reality, so now you can tell your story, um, is so interesting to me because Burning Man, which how I'm sure everybody knows it, but and if you're not a burner, um, which I am not, but aspirationally, you, you could, in my soul. You're cool enough. I could be. Yeah. I could be. Um, and at the very least, I can show up digitally That's right. <laughs> as an avatar, as a unicorn. Um, but, you know, I think that that community is so precious about that experience yeah. um, and would love for you to talk about, you know, how Infinite Reality really got its start because it's it's a really cool story. Thank you. Yeah. And and you're right. I think precious is a great word. So I, as I said, I, I just celebrated my 12th burn. I actually just got engaged out there. And, oh. and um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and that's another example where we basically what happened. So, so COVID hits Bernie man cancels and makes this big announcement to their community, uh, which is a community of course, of some of the, the most amazing creators on in many different media fronts out there. Um, and they said, look, we know that we have to cancel this physical event, but we want to figure out a way to still meet. Um, and so, 
I spoke with my partner, Elliot, who's our, our uh, chief innovation officer and my, my co-founder. And um, we started talking about how we could maybe jump in to do something about this. And in four weeks, we built out a full-on two-scale replica of what they call the playa out there, the desert. Um, and we pitched it to the CEO, and she said, literally got back to us that day and said, you have to come talk to our team. And so this was, again, there was the intention behind this. And I think when we talk about authenticity, intention is so much a vital part of that, right? What is your actual uh, intention? Is it to do something really great for the fans and for the audience, or is it to do some gimmick that may or may not land, right? And if, if it's the latter, I generally don't think it works. I think if there's heart and intention behind it, it generally sits really well with the fans. And I was a fan, so I came into this as one of these people who was like, we have to get this right. You know, we have to do this in a way that does justice to this beloved festival. Um, and that's how we set about, you know, creating the the event. Um, and it, it, just as Burning Man is non-curatorial, they basically set up this city in the desert and then let the citizens of the, of the festival come and fill it out, right, with all of the entertainment, all of the music, all the talks. It was the same thing, you know. So we had... 50 odd camps participating who would do programming, some of them doing programming for seven days in a row all day long. We had art, our uh, artists who had submitted their 3D models, some of which were for art that had actually already been out there. Others were aspirational art, uh, mutant vehicles, as they call the, the art cars out there. And we, we did our best to bring this thing to life in, in about four months. It was a crazy sprint to make this happen. And this is at a time when people were, this is mid 2020. So nobody was really saying, using the word metaverse at the time or very few. Um, and we didn't even entirely know that's what we were doing. We were doing this thing out of the desire to serve this community. Right. And, and so it came from this very authentic place and that's really what gave birth to the company. Do you want to show the video? Yeah. Why don't we do that? We'll just show you a, a real quick teaser of what we built, uh, in 2020. So this is the very first thing we did built in unreal engine. Um, you guys got that one, video one? Let's do it. Great. Thank you. So cool, right? Um, you know, it's funny because I'm a mother of three children. And so my first exposure to how we define immersive experiences was at the beginning of 2020 as well, only it looked like Roblox and Fortnite. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? And who is Jeff? And why is he trying to kill everyone? I don't understand. Um, and... You know, but I think that, you know, in the same vein, trust, right, to allow, you know, many of many people's initial exposure to these types of environments is actually through gaming. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is challenging, uh, you know, our psychological upbringing in many ways as parents, if any of you are parents um, and you have younger children, uh, a Gen Alpha, a Gen Z you witness them, and this is their community. This is the way they move seamlessly through the world. This is the way they spend your money um, on weird currency that you don't understand. Um, this is the way they show up in very, very much a creative expression of themselves in a way that doesn't necessarily mirror, you know, who they are in their real life. And they will leave a play date and then show back up ten minutes later as like, you know, in a Fortnite skin. And they're all playing together again, but like yelling at each other. I'm like, that is not okay. You can't do that. Um, but that was really one of the first adult kind of experiences that I had ever seen that kind of captures the imagination of what it would actually like to be, be on, on La Playa. Um, I think, you know, the other piece of this 
Kevin, what, what you said, which was really interesting and kind of goes back to the theory of trust and how you have all these creator economy, right, um, coming on board. So Kylie and you know, the many coming out of the entertainment business, music, entertainment, sports, you know, um, and how that whole industry is built on trust. Literally, the entertainment business is built on trust. I used to work in entertainment. You work with who you like. You work with who you trust. You get stuff sold because you trust someone. You get a gig because they trust you. Like everybody, it's a relationship game. And so I'm curious to hear more because that is the, you know, if they say that, you know, the creator economy, you know, billions and billions of dollars, right, coming down the pipeline, beauty is such a personal experience and how that gets represented to the world and you have to get the buy-in from them but their managers their community of people like they have people whispering in their ears all the time telling them well I don't really like that guy or the way he looked at you was weird or whatever right and so like how do you how do you think about like because that's a brokerage and even the prestige brands like if Gucci is going to talk to you right and say yes we trust that you can bring our new fragrance to bear to the marketplace in a way that also meets I mean if you work with luxury like luxury is very precious about luxury right um so how do you how do you convince them you know, that like we will shepherd this, take care of it and, and leave it attached also to the grand ethos of the brand. Right. Because that's the other piece. They're in the marketplace in all these ways. And you're here and, and being a licensed you know, company, it can be difficult. Right. I've worked on the other side where we licensed the brand. And I know that that we were difficult sometimes. Right. On big shows like American Idol and things like that. We were like, you do it this way. Right. So how do you communicate? How do you how do you how do you navigate that? Because that's like a real that's a real thing. Yeah. I, I mean, if anyone's ever um, been to to China and seen like some of the circus uh, actors that like can spin like 10 plates, mm -hmm. that's that's how I think about my my job or kind of the intersection as as a licensee, because, you know, we're kind of between, uh, you know, each of the major retailers, because mm -hmm. there's obviously a retail piece and a consumption goals and, and units move that we're committed to. We're between, for sure, the licensor that has um, the ownership over the IP. And especially, as you mentioned, you're, you're spot on if they're, they're a luxury licensor. We, you know, we have licenses with Gucci, with Burberry, with Chloe, with, with some very high-end, absolutely beautiful brands whose, whose brands in and of themselves from, from the fashion are, are, are worth, I mean, they can always be valued, but they're worth billions, just those brands alone. They're some of the world's most coveted brands. And then of course you have the, the, the consumer trust piece that we're, we're working with. So really that's the, that's the initial framework that we're, that we're working with. And, um, it, it's so important, I think, to always have that consumer in mind first as the basis of trust, because that's really regardless of the relationships, which I totally agree with your comments mm -hmm. around entertainment. I lived in LA for seven <laughs> years. So by osmosis, I have a decent understanding of the industry <laughs> and through my friends and, and, uh, and former colleagues who work in the industry. And, and of course, through what I continue to do, um, those need to be in place to start a program, mm -hmm. but to continue the success of a partnership, it's ultimately our consumers engaging. Are they trusting you with their dollars? Are they trusting you with their data? And, and, um, even the best laid plans, unless the um, the trust and the authenticity and the, the clarity around uh, intention and action and benefit for the consumer, unless that comes through, you know, we if you think of yourself as a consumer, you you have hesitancy. You don't buy, you don't sell. You know, you don't 
you don't want to create an opportunity to interact with a brand unless you feel like they're going to give you something of value. And so um, our goal really is to, to another another metaphor is, is you know, we think of a, a puppeteer is dressed in all black. You want to focus on the on the puppet. Like we are meant as the licensee to be that puppeteer dressed in black so that the consumer, you just think of Gucci. You don't think that there's a company that does Gucci fashion and a company that does Gucci beauty because it's not even branded as Gucci beauty. It's just branded as Gucci um, because it's supposed to be a seamless experience. And, and you know, I think one way that that, that um, these kind of relationships and trust at the, at the highest corporate or talent level is really put to the test bringing it back to the subject of our panel is really in the metaverse. And so um, one of the, the um, uh, earlier forays that we've made as an organization into the metaverse was through, um, and again, it's always multiple parties. So it was Gucci, Flora, Jasmine, Flanker launch with Miley Cyrus as the face into Roblox. And it was actually integrating with, uh, and it was in fall of 22, and it actually was fully integrated with the Gucci presence that it had launched in May of 22, so that it didn't feel like uh, a Gucci beauty presence in the Roblox that was separate from Gucci. Um, it was just part of the Gucci presence, but yet you could um, buy a virtual um, backpack of the fragrance bottle so that you started to have some of the beauty integration and, and working carefully to have um, a, a digital impression of the fragrance to give consumers that impression and understanding. But, you know, all of this was on a very strong framework of trust, of collaboration, um, again, between between us, between uh, the parent company of Gucci, between Miley, who's who's also created music for the launch of, of Gucci Flora. And, and skipping all of that to the end, what I can say is that um, some very interesting things uh, came out of that launch. And I think the one that was most interesting to me, because I've been off and on in the fragrance industry now for uh, about 12 years, is that we actually saw that for that launch, um, 25% of the fragrance was sold online. And so, you know, 10 years ago, we thought about online as a replenishment vehicle for fragrance because all the other beauty categories, you can get pretty close between try-on tools for makeup, between um, claims and benefits for skincare around hydration or wrinkle reduction or simulations, hair care, all these other more performance or visual categories Um had gone further faster in terms of digital and communicating. But between that, again, that fragrance um, kind of digital footprint that we created um, along with the overall storytelling, when you know at launch, if it's bought on .com, they haven't, the consumers haven't smelled it yet, but they've completely bought into this world via trust, via the talent, via the brand. Um, And so I think that's one of the, the most, um, illustrative success stories of trust um, in the metaverse and, and the true magic of when you can be the the plate spinner and get all 10 of those plates spinning um, at the right time, at the right speed. So you're, you're, you're balancing it all and, and, and consumers respond. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. I love that. I love that deal. I love the architecture of it. I think also the ability, you know, when we talk about immersive experiences, we're we're not just talking about the metaverse, right? We're talking about AR and VR and assisted assisted gl- glasses and like all these things, right? That are sort of creating this surround sound for us um, in our lives that as marketers, you know, are able to utilize. But scent, 
thus far is not one of them, right? Even haptic technology is changing the way that we experience, you know, everything. So I think, you know, trust, obviously, you guys, you guys established trust with some serious, uh, with a serious deal that uh, is really exciting. Um, and Warner Discovery is your, your, your initial foray partner. Um, but can you talk a little bit, because that is a huge portfolio, right? Yeah. Of trusted brands, of trusted experiences, of trusted characters, right? So that's a lot of responsibility um, that, and trust that they're putting in you. So can you talk a little bit more about how, you know, how that has come to be and, yeah, and, and how you're how you're shepherding that into our experience because we're all the consumers. And, and I'm just going to say that I'm, I'm going to add smell-o-vision to our, you know, moving yeah. forward to our development suite because that's, ama- that's an amazing story. I would be interested to find out more. <laughs> yeah. I also love the... I think we just created something new here, guys. Yeah. Just saying. I also love the analogy of the, uh, the puppeteer, right? And that technology, again, we hit on this earlier, but technology can be either in front of you, and in which case it's usually distracting and not helpful, mm-hmm. or it can be behind the experience and your focus is on the story. And if we're talking about, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery, and, and so um, uh, what happens is we signed a deal with Warner Brothers Discovery as their exclusive uh metaverse partner for for their sports division and we launched a a sort of beta with them last year for uh, indoor track cycling and we'll show you a video here in a second but but again i think if you look at the origin of the word fans right which comes from fanatics there's nobody more rabid and who is more invested than a fan right a fan is going to notice every detail um, and so when we made the, the deal with Warner Brothers Discovery is because they had seen another event that we did, another experience we did for an organization out of Europe called Fuels Europe. We were a sponsor uh, um, at the, the Po Grand Prix in Po, France, uh, which was really amazing. And we met with them and they saw what we had done for this organization who was working on clean fuel technology, uh, and which is kind of fun to think about at the, the Grand Prix. Um, and they loved what we had done and felt like it was it was different than what they had been used to seeing, which was sort of more this Roblox model. And it was like, this is metaverse for adults, right? This is immersive for adults. And a lot of that had to do with just the, the visual quality of what we were doing and putting out. Um, and so they came to us and said, hey, we'd, we'd really like to partner with you. We have a number of sports that we're really trying to reinvigorate and bring to the forefront again. Uh, and we think metaverse or immersive technology is the way to do that. Um, so we started with their indoor track cycling. And, and so I'm going to show a video here that illustrates this. And before we jump in, what you'll see in, in this video, in the beginning of this video, is that there's a gentleman who is moving towards this arena in one of our products, which is called a Skybox, which is intended to be sort of the, the ultimate fan experience for broadcast companies, for streaming media, right? You go into one of these Skyboxes, you get to be there with all of your friends, having this very social experience. You get data and live analytics. You get content coming in. You also get to be the director of your own experience. So you have this area where you can choose the stream that's coming in. So the broadcaster can literally send 15, 20 different streams, and you, as a consumer, as a, as a fan, can can decide, hey, I want to be down on the sidelines or I want to be watching from the, the camera on the racer's head, not not just watching the, 
the stream that they're showing me and you get to have that opportunity. And inside that you also have commerce and, and all of these things. So the idea is that you enter into this world where you wouldn't, you just wouldn't be able to have this in any other context. You wouldn't be able to have this in traditional broadcasts. And so we find that very exciting, but I'll show the video. But the, the thing I wanted to point out is that this um, skybox that we designed that you'll see in the beginning is based on the helmets that they wear, which is this very iconic helmet. And if you were a fan of the sport, you absolutely know what that helmet is. And you were like, Oh my God, th these people understand they understand what we're interested in. They understand the engagement. They're not, they're not, you know, just trying to be gimmicky. They're, they're deep in it. So love to show that second video, please. So the, thank you. The idea of really caring about the fans, you know, and speaking to them and creating something that deepens their experience and, and takes them to places they normally couldn't go with a brand, I think is really essential, especially when you start thinking about the fact that brands often have lifetime long relationships with their fans. And so servicing that and being there to evolve with that, this is what I think is really exciting about these technologies. Totally. And, you know, it's funny, um, on Saturday we were discussing a lot about how the archetype of a super fan and how innovation is one of the key factors in driving fandom um, and community, right? So, and the notion that also, like, that's that's one very specific, like, vertical, right? And so the how people are verticalizing themselves into communities and why I think platforms like Discord have become so interesting for managing communities, right? And how these experiences where you can wander in and as Hope Hope Frank, who's the CMO of Infinite Reality and my friend and partner, um, often says you can be the director of your own experience, right? And, and that is such a powerful opportunity that I think as where we sit, we don't quite understand. But I think the generation that's coming, that are coming after us, there's an expectation that we understand, and that we provide it for them. So if you are creating an experience like M. Night Shyamalan is releasing a film that if anyone went to CES, you might have seen the experience on the show floor. But depending on where you stood in the experience, you were having a different narrative with a different character and taking part in that movie, right? 
And so, but what these experiences are creating is sort of multi-sensory opportunity, except for smell, which we're going to add. We're adding. We're adding, Kevin. <laughs> he didn't need it. Yeah. Um, but like, is this, is that real opportunity? And so, you know, I think, you know, every brand is looking at how to take fandom and turn it into something where there's a community of people who are your ambassadors, who are participating, you know, that's sort of the holy grail, right? That people will become your brand ambassadors, um, which requires them to trust you and you to trust them, to empower them, to communicate your message. Um, how, how are you guys? And I think we have about 10 minutes left and then we might do a Q and A. So get your thinking hats on if you have questions. Um, but the, you know, how are you thinking about that? Because the community element is so important. Like I did this little exercise in the first panel where I had everyone turn to each other and talk about the last thing that you saw that you got excited about. Could be a concert, could be a, you know, a game that you went to, could be, you know, a show that you saw, whatever. And there was so much energy in the room around that moment because everyone was a community in that moment. But you also had to trust the recommendation of the person you were sitting next to or have a conversation about it, right? So how are you thinking about that and kind of capturing that essence and then bringing it to bear for Cody and the brands that you work with? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and um, I'll start by saying that I feel so fortunate that in, in the world, so many people are as passionate about beauty as I am because there's never any shortage on any platform of any type as far as content and, and passion around beauty products, whether it's fragrance or cosmetics, um, you know, just to keep it specific. Cause I think the specific examples are more interesting up here. Um, I was, uh, when I was flying out to LA last week, um, I had service on my personal phone through T-Mobile, but not through my work phone. So that meant I really got to go down rabbit holes. And, and that for me, that means catching up on Reddit. And so I was looking at, um, uh, pan porn, which is, uh, sounds dirty, but it's basically, um, <laughs> like the pans of like eyeshadow palettes. So when you, when you've used your shadow so much that you get down to the very bottom, which is a rare occurrence, but everyone has their favorite shades. And so I was deep in there. I was in skincare addiction. I was in makeup addiction, you know, all my beauty, um, my favorite beauty groups. And actually I found, uh, in a, you know, I, I don't have time to go in them all the time. I look at kind of our, our social dashboards overall that look at positive and negative sentiment, but I really, really get a lot out of, out of having that uninterrupted time as I did on the six hour flight. Cause there were headwinds <laughs> um, going to LA. I had so much time to really get deep into Reddit and look at what, what people were saying about CoverGirl specifically also a little bit competitive, but I, but I was mostly interested in CoverGirl. And so, um, you know, a, a couple of the things, and again, you, you can go find them on Reddit, so they're not a secret, but one of them was a, a, a CoverGirl palette that someone had kept in their fridge for over 20 years. Um, it was a, it was a, a lot of blues and silvers, and it was just like 35 comments from people that are like, wow, I remember that palette, or like, I haven't seen a blue like that since, since that palette. And so, of course, as a, as a marketer, someone who's just like, you know, just sometimes I wonder, like, why do we pay for research when I have this depth of yeah. passion? These people who are clearly are watching Cover Girl, like Cover Girl, since before I worked in the beauty industry, like, you know, it's it's incredibly humbling to 
to look into. It, it definitely allows you to, again, someone like me, I, I like to learn. I like to grow. It's just the expertise in there. But, you know, it spurred so many ideas and I won't share them all because they were sent to my team and they're things we might be working on. But there's just so many things you can get into, whether it's the vocabulary that people are using to describe your product, whether it's the specific shades that consumers are attracted to when you think about all of the passion that Gen Z has for retro and bringing things back. Um, but but also looking at the folks that maybe were not fans. And what I would say that I, I love just, I mean, not, not that I have any specific reason to give a shout to Reddit, but what I do like is generally even the negative comments are quite constructive in general. I don't find it as 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 difficult as reading maybe some of the comments on on news sites, which I feel like get like so kind of polarizing. I don't know that they're useful. Um, I feel like at least beauty and beauty on Reddit is a nice like banter. Um, and then another, I got into another thread that was just kind of all about CoverGirl as a total brand and what people think of it. And, and like I said, uh, it, it's such a gift to get into. And, you know, I think sometimes my teams uh, probably get a little nervous when I travel because they know they're <laughs> going to get like a bit, um, very relevant, but not, not, you know, not tying to like our, you know, PNL reviews at the next meeting, which they also need to do, or not something tying <laughs> to like, what's our, you know social calendar look like for the next month, but some things that I think um, do help us break through to those depths of trust of consumers, you know, giving them those signals that we are listening and we do care. Um, those are just yeah. two, two recent examples. You bring up a very powerful word in the trust contract listening, yeah. right? Two ears, one mouth. That's what I tell my children when I ask them to listen oh. to me. Um, but the, you know, the community aspect, right. Of the, um, which I think is so interesting, right? Again, all of these spaces give us permission to dig, to dig into communities. And then the opportunity of the immersive experience is to understand the community and then ignite them, right? To, to prompt them, to ignite them, to give them a way to discover, engage, reward, you know, all of these things. So obviously infinite reality building experiences. Um, how are you thinking about, because, you know, again, like, one community is very different than the other community, than the next community. How are you thinking about that in terms of the folks that are coming through the door, right, through the screen, um, into these experiences? And, and you know, the reason that these brands are trusting you, right, um, is because they think you'll do a great job of shepherding and, and rewarding and embracing those communities. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think, I think the, the brands who are doing well in these spaces are listening to, to their communities. And I think that's the beauty of moving into these, you know, a space like this that is so, you know, blue ocean. There's so much that we can do. So a lot of what we've done is really based on the needs of our clients. What are you, what do you need in this space? What, what problems are you trying to address? What are you trying to solve for? What's the utility behind it? If there's not utility behind it or something really meaningful behind it, the brands are, the, the audiences are going to feel like it falls flat and they're going to the feel the lack of authenticity. And so giving tools to audiences and communities to bring them together, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so that the layer of socialization we feel is really sweet and very sticky, you know, where it's like you go have these experiences together. Um, and so we're seeing that, you know, it's, it's more fun to go to a concert when you're with your friends 
And sometimes that concert might not be in your city or might not even be in your country. Um, but, but with these technologies, you can still go have that experience and you can have it with your friends and you can be chatting while you're doing it. And then maybe you can be trying on a, a, a shirt or a piece of merch and then ask your friend or your family, hey, what do you think of this? Right. So having that, there, I think community is the, probably the number one most important part of all of these immersive experiences. Otherwise, if you're in there by yourself, it's, it's, it's not very fun. Yeah. Um, and so uh, communities also listen to each other. Right. And so if somebody doesn't like something or somebody feels that something's not not being real with them, especially especially the uh, the younger generations, like they just instantly turn off, you know. And so we really have to be listening to communities and fostering ways for communities to come together. Yeah. I love there was a story um, that Gerald Youngblood, who's the CMO of Lenovo, told and he started ta he was talking about community right and he was talking about when you say like the younger generations his son you know like when covid hit it was 2020 right nobody could go anywhere and all these kids still wanted to have birthday parties right birthday parties are social experiences where the kids are fan of themselves and they expect everyone to be fans of them right and so the he told this story about how you know everyone jumped in their cars and got balloons and cake and honked and drove by people's houses and there was all this stuff and so they let their eight-year-old pick what he wanted to do and he hosted a party in minecraft where he gave out like unicorn costumes and like there were goodie bags and they built stuff together and like the art of the imagination right around that and they had a great time Right. So much more fun than a bunch of people driving by their house and honking and some balloons and whatever. The kids themselves like deployed their own version of fandom into their experience, used their community, brought it in. But it's like, you know, again, if you if you walk into an immersive experience and you're the only person in there, which is some of the stuff that happened in Sandbox, like early days, right? Or Decentraland, like people were going and experience. They're like, well, I went there and there was no one there. So I left. <laughs> It might be immersive, but it's not very interactive. Not yeah, very which is why the fandom element is so important, yeah. right? Community and fandom, is that's one of the big key takeaways for the NRG research, which was originally released at Super Bowl um, and now has diving in. They're doing it around music and all these different streams around for artists and all this stuff. But the future of commerce and community and, and creators and how it's all going to, you know, kind of intertwine, but really also still comes down to like that authenticity, right? Like people will call bullshit on you in two seconds. Right. And I think that's a, the beauty of sort of moving out of Web 2.0, which was really like we're kind of stuck in these flat data, which we're not interactive. It's not interactive. Yeah. And it's saying, no, this is not how humans really function, yeah. especially in togetherness. Yeah, I think I think I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I think yeah. this is kind of something quick that I wanted to comment on is I think that um, when community is really done well, the intersectionality is what comes through because that's when companies are truly listening. So, you know, the example that I gave earlier, it's it's not only about the trust that that Cody has with our consumers and retailers and with a licensor, but also, again, with the talent. So bringing in Miley and having her create a song for the launch of Gucci fragrances that feels authentic to her and her fans. All of that has to be so well thought out. One example, and I won't name the name of the company, but I think an example of where um, they stakeholder their immediate immediate community well, but not one other that was featured as a sideshow is there was an automotive company that featured a, a, a guy with a mountain bike kind of with their SUV going to do mountain biking. And I'm a cyclist, by the way. I didn't know what you did with the, with the UCI, but now I have a zillion things I want to talk about afterwards. Um <laughs> But if you go through Reddit, like I'm a road biker, so I do not know what mountain bikes look like or what people wear, but 
but I follow cycling communities on Reddit and like there was just so much feedback about like where did they get that mountain bike and they got like what is that guy wearing like you can't even ride when you're dressed in that and like it was just like you know a very quick moment as like maybe calling someone who actually is riding mountain bikes even if they work at the company would have been 90 for the 10 on what to show but like they sent someone clearly to like a bike store to buy random clothes that don't even get used for mountain biking. And then they've, they've kind of created this whole question of authenticity on what was meant to be a gold standard moment of you can do anything and go anywhere and access any remote trail with RSUV by popping your mountain bike on the trunk. And then everyone in the mountain biking community is like, this makes no sense. So, you know, I think that's kind of the, again, maybe they were stakeholdering SUV buyers, which were suburban family, never go off road. And those people don't care, but then you've just created so much noise that, you know, everything's discoverable nowadays through hashtags, through Google, through whatever that, 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 you know, they they just didn't do that stakeholding with a community that they were trying to use as a gold standard moment. So it it was just kind of a, a, a good reminder and how like things, backfire and also again how the information is so easily available like and distributed by those and, and distributed so it's just um you know since we, we didn't mainly talk about it but again i think it's that you know every piece of something that you feature there's an it goes back to what you were saying earlier shan i mean everything is accessible now through tiktok through youtube visual means like people notice the details they notice the nuances like there's nothing anymore that is just oh we'll just throw that in the set unless you're intentionally trying to create a reaction like there's no more just kind of half-assed doing things yeah i mean right it's the expectation that you know me right you know me you understand me you understand my community you understand what's important to us you are mapping to our values you're showing up you're wearing the right thing you're saying the right thing you're it's a lot of pressure (laughs) um but it's also quite an opportunity, right? If you can get it right, which is super cool. Um, I don't know if anyone has questions. Um, okay, we do have a couple. Yay, way to go, guys. Um, so it's so much better when you ask if anyone has questions and then you raise your hand. Um, so let's let's go into, we have about five minutes left for questions. So that would be awesome. Yeah, so I know that we're talking a lot about trust and trust between the brand and the fan base. And I'm wondering within the company, what are you guys doing to really walk the walk? Like, how are you guys uh, promoting authenticity and radical honesty, radical uh, vulnerability within the employees? Because I feel like that's one of the hardest things to do is to get everybody on the same page and all the wheels of the bus moving in the same direction when we all have different objectives. So just curious to know what kind of systems you might have in place to keep promoting that. Should I start? Okay, sure. Um, I'll I'll be quick because I want to be mindful of time and questions. I would say um, there's a lot of different ways. First of all, we have uh, a a corporate point of view in terms of values, purpose, values, and vision. And the the platform overall that our our purpose, values, and visions are built on is summarized as fearlessly kind. And so that's really the platform for... um, that our management is projected for all of our employees and for me as a a people manager to encourage people to be fearlessly kind, to bring their ideas, to bring their feedback and bring their input and know that they're heard. Um, 
you know, I talk also about leadership and just naturally there's times that I lead from the front and there's times that I lead from behind. And when we, when I lead from behind, I'm looking for people to provide the thought leadership and to provide the inputs and to provide the external perspective. Um, most people who work for me know that when they're new, I'm usually all over them for the first six months because I want that outside perspective. Like most of us have been some, if you're somewhere beyond six months, you're, you're too much of an insider. Um, you can do your research, but then you're seeing it as an internal stakeholder. And so uh, I'm very, very hot on people that have been with a company less than six months to provide that feedback. So there's just like a couple of very, very specific and small examples, but there's so many ways that you, you can feed an ecosystem. And, 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 and also it's about kind of taking the feedback and also following up on it, um, even if you choose not to, to execute it, but to talk about why, why you didn't do something, um, but also to execute on some of it. You, obviously, the answer can't be no to everything. Uh, I'll echo that core values, obviously, have to be drivers, right? That we have to be in alignment on our core values and our culture, and that that, that has to be infused, and it has to be the bedrock on which we make decisions, on which we uh, act from a creative perspective. But I would also say that we strive to be fans of the brands that we're serving, right? And that means digging deeply into them, really understanding what the brands are, what their needs are. Oftentimes, especially in new spaces like this, the brand doesn't entirely even know how to activate in the space. They just know that they're interested in getting into it. And so having those conversations and, and you know, holding their hands, not to lead them, but as collaborators um, and, and really having a creative collaborative process with the, band, the brand to, because they're the super fans of their fans, right? Their communities. They know them better than anyone or they, they should. And so we're just helping them activate and helping them walk there with them. So. If Tiffany was here, she would say there's a code of conduct, right, that it gets established at the outset. And then you follow that code of conduct that has integrates those values. And um, she's not here because she's having a baby um, and her doctor said she couldn't fly. <laughs> yes. Absolutely is access for all. That's really important to us. It's why we chose web-based over VR. I'm so curious though, Kevin, does immersive experience provide additional accessibility, additional access for all? Because we've thought through both avatar plus what we call our core chat or our Zoom bubble so that you can see who the person really is if you want to have that relationship. And look what I chose as my avatar. So you're both, which is a very real experience for us of access for all but i'm curious how do you do it in fragrance how do you do it in beauty well that there's a lot of questions in there <laughs> if i break it down um i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about something that actually we i didn't cover on the panel which is um without getting into too much detail because we have time we don't have much time but we think about um the metaverse and trust and accessibility very different between our prestige division and our mass division. And we want to make sure that anything we do online, digitally, augmented metaverse, fill in the blank, is a mirror of what we're doing offline and what the brands represent. And so I talked about the examples of, of, of Gucci and Roblox, which now has so many users, is arguably a, a wide reach vehicle. Um, but when I think about um, our true mass brands and the portfolio brands that I manage day to day, we're very keen to be actively participating in things that are incredibly accessible. Um, uh, 
don't have a lot of gates, for example. So uh, we were uh, awarded an FE award for a Snapchat try-on lens that we did for Sally Hansen in the height of the pandemic when we launched a new shade collection and people were maybe not comfortable to go in store or to dwell in store. You know, they're running in for food and but not really spending time in the aisle, you know, giving themselves those moments to look over beauty. And so, um, you know, it was so important for us that if we're thinking about our consumer beauty division, that they're on platforms with a very high penetration, that they're easy to use, um, that we're not asking necessarily consumers for a lot of data to provide because uh, they have, you know, these are products that are mostly $10 or less. They, they, they love our brands, but have, I would say a more transactional relationship than with a prestige brand and just being cognizant of that because it doesn't make sense to kind of, you know, on your, you know, with someone you've been dating to ask for this depth of information. And, and, and I would say a lot of the, the more accessible brands that are in, you know, 50, 60,000 uh, points of distribution in the U S that have, I would say maybe less depth of, of connection. It doesn't make sense to ask in a metaverse setting, for all this depth of data or depth of engagement, because it's just not how the, the terms of engagement are with the brand. So I think to summarize, it's so important for us to think about what the brands are, you know, who's, who's the tribe of consumers that's attracted, how does that work overall, and then making sure that our um, metaverse or virtual experience is consistent with that. So again, building on trust so that we're consistently having um an understanding and a self-reflection of what the relationship in terms of engagement or code of conduct is with our consumers. And with that, we have, we're out of time. So I would like to thank um, our panelists, Kevin and Helix. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. Thank you.